contrary to what some people think, the Song of Solomon is more than just a great illustration of ideal married love. Now it is that, of course, but it's also so much more. Welcome to Through the Bible. I'm Steve Schwetz, and today, Dr. J. Vernon McGee dives into the first chapter of Song of Solomon with great detail. So let's open to chapter 1, verse 1, and while we do, here's an introduction by Dr. McGee on the most wonderful relationship in the world. Now, before we come to the text, there are one or two other items of introduction that I should mention. As we've indicated, the love songs in this book tell of the ideal relationship that there should be in a marriage, or else the marriage is doomed to failure. On my wife's wedding ring is this little motto, each for the other and both for God. Real marriage is where the man can say, my wife makes me glad I am a man. And the wife can say, my husband makes me glad I am a woman. Actually, marriage is the one relationship, the one thing down here that God put his seal upon. It's the only institution at the beginning that God put his seal upon, the relationship of a man and a woman. It was played down in the past, and it's being played up too much today and in the wrong way. But I think Adam and Eve must have had a wonderful relationship. You know that actually that man made a tremendous choice for her. Paul makes it clear that Eve got into the garden later than Adam did, and she didn't know certain things. I'm not sure Adam told her these things. Maybe he should have, but that we can't be sure of. But Paul says in 1 Timothy, 2nd chapter, verse 14, Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now, Adam did deliberately. He had a choice to make. Either he could stay in the garden alone, and he'd had enough of that, or he could go out with Eve, and he chose to go with her. He made a tremendous choice. And I think that in marriage, that's the kind of choice that you make. I think that when a man and a woman love each other in the confines and bounds of a marriage relationship, it's the most wonderful relationship in the world. I think Paul must have had a wonderful wife to have written, wives, respond to your husbands. And that's what he meant when he says, submit yourself. A wife is to respond to her husband. When he says, I love you, then she can say, I love you. And believe me, he's to say it first. And then he could say to the husbands, husbands, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself water. What a great encouragement on marriage from Dr. McGee. I love his motto, each for the other and both for God, don't you? Now, before we jump into our study, Greg's here to fill us in on the growing ministry Through the Bible has, this time in the Arabic world. Yes, and Arabic is a very significant outreach of ours. Uh, we actually share TTB in Arabic in a lot of different yeah. ways. 
We often talk about our Arabic satellite TV ministry. We're on something like six networks uh, multiple times a day. You might say, well, why don't you know the exact number? Because we don't pay for any of that, yeah. which is uh, which is really great. So they, they decide that, but we know they love through the Bible, and it's going out over satellite TV. It's also going out through all kinds of social media. In fact, we have a great report of, of just one interaction from social media. And yes, it's still on the radio in the Middle East on a bunch of FM stations. Yeah. And this is uh, an encouraging report that we got. Um, here's what it says. It says, Nora Dean initiated conversation with our follow-up team after stumbling upon a social media post inquiring, is Jesus the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost, or is he solely the Son? Again, this this whole thing starts on a social media post, okay? He pointed out that Jesus never explicitly claimed to be God. Oh, my friend, I disagree. Yes, yes. So Lovingly. (laughs) As we talked with him, Nora Dean reacted with anger and aggression, stating, I am a Muslim and my original name is Moed. Do you have a problem with that? I'm seeking answers because I have a deep admiration for Christ and may consider converting from Islam to Christianity. In response, we assured Moed that we weren't urging him to change his faith since Christianity is not merely a set of rules, but a way of life. We explained our belief in Jesus living within us and how we follow his teachings out of love, not fear, reflecting his love displayed through his crucifixion. We suggested he explore Christ's love, pray for his love and salvation, and receive an explanation of the crucifixion and resurrection. He questioned whether the Father sacrificed his Son for humanity and whether his love for us exceeded that for his own Son. We clarified the significance of the Lord's sacrifice and why no one else could have accomplished it on behalf of the world's sins. Greg, why don't you continue on? But I just want to point out that what you're getting is an under-the-covers, inside look at the way our follow-up team engages Muslims in their faith. Because this guy is coming at it from a very Islamic point of view, his challenging of who Jesus Jesus Christ is, as well as the whole crucifixion and the whole concept of love. These are very different concepts than what Islam teaches. That is absolutely correct, Steve. I'm so glad you pointed that out because the depth of this interaction, this is just one of dozens, if not hundreds of interactions that our team has. And as you said, the starting point is not always the explicit teaching from Dr. McGee. It's answering a question based on Dr. McGee's theology that is asked in the Muslim world. So yep. very powerful. So this this interaction that's already gone on for quite a while continues. This man named Moed says that he had confusion about choosing between the Quran, which he had studied his whole life, and the Bible, which he had been reading and following for the last few months. The Bible's impact on him had been profound. Praise God. This is a report from our team, by the way. So this is the we language. We emphasize the assurance of eternity offered by the gospel compared to the uncertainty in his inherited religion regarding entry into paradise. We explained that our hope lies in Christ, and we prayed for the Holy Spirit to guide his belief. Then came the pivotal question from this man. He said, I want to follow Jesus Christ, but in secret. Hmm. Can Jesus reject me before God the Father because of my fear? We responded by assuring him that the Holy Spirit residing in him would provide encouragement, support, and wisdom for declaring his faith. We acknowledge that the path with Christ isn't easy, but is filled with testimonies of his faithfulness, protection, and guidance until the day of his returning. 
And it, it concludes this report. He now listens regularly and has started sharing his faith and the gospel discreetly with those open to it. Praise oh the Lord. Goodness. Hopefully that gives you insight into the Muslim world and the impact that the ministry mm. of Through the Bible is having in that part of the world, a very hard to reach place. And Greg, unfortunately we're out <laughs> yeah. of time, but yeah. be praying. If you're on our world prayer team, pray for those who are experiencing Through the Bible for the first time in the context of Islam. Greg, pray for us as we begin our study. Father, we do pray that you would reach, as you are reaching, many from the Muslim faith, and they are finding Jesus as their personal Savior. Lord, your word is so powerful. We thank you for what it's accomplishing around the world. And now we ask you to accomplish that in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now let's get on the Bible bus on Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. Now we come to the text of the Song of Solomon. And it is the belief of a great many that what you have here are five marvelous, wonderful canticles. That is songs, brief songs. And they depict the experience and the story that we told last time of this Shulamite girl, a country girl up in the hill country. And a shepherd one day came by and she fell in love with him and he fell in love with her and promised a return didn't return as soon as she thought, but one day it was announced King Solomon had arrived and wanted to see her. She couldn't believe it. And when she was brought into his presence, she recognized the shepherd. And then the scene here in the Song of Solomon will shift. It'll be up in the Shulamites' country, up in the hill country of Ephraim, and then back down to Jerusalem. And actually, I personally do not feel like that you have a connected story told in a sequence here, yet it is the belief of a great many that you do. And the thing that we're concerned about here is the application of it for you and me today as believers, actually for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I believe that it has actually a wonderful application there. And there are five songs that are here. You remember it says back in 1 Kings 4.32 that Solomon wrote 3,000 Proverbs. Well, we have 915 of them. We have very few of them. And that he wrote 1,005 songs. Well, he was really sort of a coal porter of his day. And very frankly, we have probably five of them here. And I think that's the reason that odd number five has been given to us here, you'd think it'd be a round number of a thousand, but a thousand and five. We only have five, so we have really fewer of his songs than we have of his proverbs. And you find here that it's a wonderful song of marital love. It rebukes asceticism, and it also condemns lust and unfaithfulness to the marriage vow. And it's not a soap opera that we're looking at here. It's not a cheap play where the heroes are neurotic, the heroines are erotic, and the plots are tomerotic. What we have here is a thing of beauty. And I hope I can just open the door and give you just a little look into this one. Now, this first song here, we find the bride and the bridegroom. They've been brought together in a wonderful relationship. And it opens like this. The Song of Songs, 
which is Solomon's. Now, this is a song of songs. When you put these five together, these canticles, five of them together, you have this glorious, wonderful story. I suppose that you could compare it to folk music, only I don't think you'd be using a guitar with it. I think this would be in the nature of opera. And this is one of the ways that God had of speaking to his people. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's. Now, notice how it opens like this. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for thy love is better than wine. Now, friends, the kiss was in that day the pledge of peace. And it was a prayer and a token for peace. And after all, Solomon, his name means peace. He's the prince of peace. And he ruled in Jerusalem, the city of peace. And the Shulamite girl here, she's the daughter of peace. And so actually, what you have here is this very personal, close relationship that existed. And it's the Lord Jesus now able to communicate to his people, to the church today, and to communicate to you and me personally his message. And very frankly, there needs to be a return to the Word of God, not just these Bible classes where you learn a few of the mechanics of it and all this gimmickry, and not even just the memorization of it, but that which brings us into a personal relationship with him where he communicates to us, where he speaks to us here. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. He's spoken peace to us, you see. And he alone can speak peace to the human heart today. Now, actually, back in the Old Testament, no one could have done that. Moses, he represents the law, and he spoke. And Aaron represents the priests. And David represents the king. Moses, the law, and the prophets. But after all, Moses was slow of speech. That's what he said himself. And Isaiah, the prophet, he said his lips were unclean. And Jeremiah said he couldn't speak because he's a child. And all the prophets are dumb. All are not really able to communicate as the Lord Jesus can communicate himself of whom they speak let him speak for himself, said Bernard, one who had drawn very close to Christ. Does Christ communicate to you today in his word? Does he say anything to you today? Oh, Christian friend, you and I need to come in where we can say, let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. How very personal, how very wonderful this is. And actually, the one now that has heard his voice and he said, you remember, let him that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And if you have the blood-tipped ear today, and you've heard him speak peace to you, peace through the blood of his cross, forgiveness of sins for you, and you've heard that, now you can take the next step. The one that's been reconciled now to God through the redemption that we have in Christ, he actually entreats the kiss of the solemn nuptial contract. This is that which seals the marriage vow. It's been my custom, I think it's the custom of all ministers, that after you performed a marriage ceremony, 
And the fellow said, I will or I do. And sometimes they say, I wilt. But that's not nice to say that. But I remember that one preacher said, wilt you? And he said, I wilt. And some of them do that too. But when they both have said, I will or I do, then I always say, then lift the veil and give the marriage kiss. That seals the vow, you see. It's a solemn thing, actually. It seals the marriage covenant. And in redemption now, he not only gives us deliverance, but freedom. (laughs) If the Son make you free, you shall be free indeed. But what kind of freedom? Freedom now to come to him and say, I present my body, a living sacrifice unto you. Therefore, not only freedom, but a dedication. And not only that, but brought into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, our Savior. What a lovely, beautiful thing this is that we have here. And let me say to you, are you a child of God? Then my trembling soul, may I say to you, do you have a fear not to lay hold of his grace? He wants you to. We saw back in Ephesians, he's rich in mercy, and he is rich in grace. Oh, the riches of his grace and the riches of his glory. And he wants to share those with you. I don't know about you. I need his mercy. I need his grace. And that was his invitation. He says, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I'll rest you. Do you know what it is to rest? A real rest. Not just one Sabbath day, but seven days a week. To rest in him and his finished redemption. Now he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. And you're going to find rest now for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. Now, this is being yoked up with him. And when you're yoked up with him, what a wonderful, glorious relationship is. And he is the one that carries the load for you. How beautiful, how lovely, how wonderful this is. And here we have Erskine's little statement. His mouth the joy of heaven reveals. His kisses from above are pardons, promises, and seals of everlasting love. And then he goes on to say here, for thy love is better than wine. Now, that was used in that day as the expression of the highest of the luxuries that this earth offered. It was a champagne dinner, and it meant that you had everything from soup to nuts. And here he speaks, therefore, of that which is the very highest, that which brings joy to your heart. And you will recall that he made this statement through Paul. He says, be not drunk with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. And he's saying here, oh, that the Spirit of God might draw us closer to him, you see, and give us that excitement, that exhilaration, oh, that ecstasy of belonging to Christ and of having fellowship with him. Friends, am I talking to you about something that you and I together don't know very much about, do we? All all of this childish stuff today, we play at church. We talk about we're dedicated Christians 
because we're busy as termites and are having about the same effect. Oh, to get to the place in whom though now we see him not yet believing, we rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. Oh, what a wonderful picture this is of him. And Habakkuk put it like this. He says, although the fig tree shall not blossom, neither fruit shall be in the vine, the labor of the olive shall fail, and the fields shall yield no meat. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. Oh, my friend, have we arrived to that? And no wonder he says here, thy love, it's better than wine. (laughs) And I do not mean to be irreverent, but you want to get a kick out of life? This is the way to get a kick out of life. Wine is excess. You'll become an alcoholic, and it'll give you a lift, I grant. But why not let the Spirit of God come into your life? Now, this is the love of God for us today that's shed in our hearts by the Holy Spirit. And that's the reason we need the Holy Spirit. Now he goes on to say, because of the savor of thy good ointments, thy name is as ointment poured forth, therefore do the virgins love thee. Now, the ointments here, the perfume. And isn't it wonderful? He began his life with the Myrrh brought to him at his birth, and then they brought myrrh to him at his death. It speaks of his death for you and me today. And the sweetness and the fragrance of the life of Christ is wonderful. Oh, but the fragrance of his love for us when he died for us upon the cross. Now, I want you to notice this in closing. Verse 4, draw me, we will run after thee. The king hath brought me into his chambers. We'll be glad and rejoice in thee, and we'll remember thy love more than wine. The upright love thee. Now, we come here to this wonderful passage of Scripture where we're to love him. And somebody's going to say, well, I just can't reach that state at all. I can't attain to it. It's too high for me. Well, May I say to you, that's the position I think of all of us here. Draw me. (laughs) We'll run after thee. And that means that we recognize immediately we can't come to this high plane. I love the name of Jesus, Bonar said. Emmanuel, Christ the Lord, like fragrance on the breezes, his name abroad is poured. What does the name of Jesus mean to you? Somebody says, I have never experienced that wonderful relationship. Oh, listen to the bride. She says, draw me. And today the child of God is saying here, draw me. Let him come to me and let him lift me up and let him bring me to this place because I can't do it myself. I recognize that in me that I can't rise to that level. Therefore, we say, draw me. Quarles put it like this. But like a block beneath whose burden lies that undiscovered worm that never dies, I have no will to rouse, I have no power to rise. For can the water buried axe implore, a hand to raise it or itself restore? And from her sandy depths approach the dry foot shower. So hard's the task for sinful flesh and blood to lend the smallest help to what is good. My God, I cannot move the least degree. Ah, if I but only those who active be, 
None should thy glory see, thy glory none should see. Lord, as I am, I have no power at all to hear thy voice or echo to thy call. Give me the power to will, the will to do. Oh, raise me up, and I will strive to go. Draw me, oh, draw me with thy treble twist that have no power but merely to resist. Oh, lend me strength to do and then command thy list. What a wonderful thing. He says, my, my power is available to you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. And is the cry, the deep cry of your heart, Christian friend, draw me, lift me up. Oh, Lord, bring me to that exciting place that ought to be on today. Until next time, may God richly bless you, my beloved. That's a great prayer to ponder until our next study. Until then, to find a resource by Dr. McGee to deepen your study of God's Word, just visit ttb.org or call 1-800-65-BIBLE. I'm Steve Schwetz, so grateful today for your company on the Bible bus and every day. May God bless you and keep you as you walk with Him in His Word. We're grateful for our committed listening family who faithfully pray and invest in Through the Bible as we together take the whole word to the whole world.